Welcome to Garage Conversations with Char, or GCC for short. My name is Charlene Brisbane, and this podcast is literally recorded in the garage of my home, located in the suburbs of Philadelphia. The intent of the discussions you will hear are to inform, engage, and inspire. You might even laugh a little too. Coming along for the ride will be my producer, editor, sort of co-host, and favorite daughter. Well, she's actually my only daughter, Shelby Brisbane. So I urge you to grab your beverage of choice and snack if you desire, sit back and enjoy. All right, Shelby, what are you drinking today? Just water. Again. I thought you were going to change. I, I know. Water. I, I said I was going to last time, but I forgot that we were recording two today. So when Christian comes out, I made him buy me something else to drink. Okay. Um, but yeah, right now I'm just having water. And I'm having water too. It looks like we're all having water because I always give the guests water. Once it gets colder mm-hmm. and it will be autumn, which is my favorite time of the year and the superior time of the year, in my humble opinion, I'll have tea and okay. that will be excellent. Yeah. I, A different I, tea each time. Okay. That should be interesting for the audience. I don't generally drink hot tea unless I'm sick. I drink cold stuff all year round. So I'll always be drinking something cold. But we have a beautiful day today, actually. It's better than before. I'm, I'm still feel myself starting to sweat a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We did our first morning one the other day, and that was a little bit hot. And but um, definitely afternoon is a good time. It's pretty quiet. So I'd like to welcome today to Garage Conversation with Shara, my cousin, Dr. Carla Johnson. And she is a principal of a virtual school serving the Philadelphia area. And I think this is really cool because I really didn't know that. I knew she was a principal. And then I was on LinkedIn and I saw her on the video and I was like, wow, that's my cousin. And she's the principal of a virtual school. That's so cool. So I thought, you know, as we're in the midst of this COVID pandemic and many children are attending school virtually completely or some part of their school week, you know, I wanted Carla to come and share her experience managing a virtual school. And maybe she can help address some of the concerns parents are having as they are like, they didn't choose it, (laughs) you know, but now they have to manage virtual learning. And help us to better understand the, the virtual learning experience. Because when I saw the video, I actually was like, wow, this is a cool option. I saw how you incorporated, you know, performing type arts, yep. visual arts and other things. So it's a lot to understand about virtual schooling. So I think before we jump in, maybe Carla, you can tell the audience a little bit about your background in education. Okay, well, thank you, Shar and uh, Shelby for having me here today. I really do appreciate it. I think this is an awesome opportunity to talk more about what is happening in the field of education. Mm -hmm. So about me, I grew up in Philadelphia. I attended a private school, Ivy League, which was a uh, an African-American run and owned uh, private school in the Mount area. And then from there, I went to engineering and science, which is a high school in Philadelphia, part of the Philadelphia School District. After leaving engineering and science, I went to Lincoln University, the number one HBCU. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I studied uh, science physics there. That's right. You were in a a technical area like me, huh? I was. I was. (laughs) And then one one summer, I had an opportunity to uh, teach children. 
part of an internship and I just realized that I, well, the same summer I was in a lab all summer too. <laughs> okay. So, so I got to see like, do I want to teach or do I want to be in a lab all day and see no one? So uh-huh. um, I just decided that I wanted to really go into education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I follow that path and I have worked in education now for over 20 years Wow. Um, as a science teacher and now an administrator. I've been an administrator for a cyber school now for six years. Mm, Wow. That's really an interesting journey. And I was wondering, though, like pre-COVID, these type of cyber schools or virtual schools were growing anyway. And I was just wondering, and I tried to look it up myself, but do you know what the percentage of virtual schools are in the U.S. as far as K through 12? So in we'll we'll start with Pennsylvania. Right. Um, There are 14 currently 14 cyber schools in Pennsylvania. And those cyber schools are not district located, meaning Mm. they are state approved. Okay. Which means that we accept children, not just from Philadelphia, but we accept children all over the state of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. So we have children in my school. We have children from Erie all the way to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that that is a part of what our, our charter requires us to do to be able to accept children from all over the state. So the very first charter schools, uh, well, not char- just charter, but online schools, really were birthed out of a movement that happened in the early 90s. Oh, okay. And so in California, you had schools that were developing to provide curriculum for high schools for credit recovery. So this whole phenomenon of online education really began for for students who were in uh, the K-12 area, really began with just a credit recovery type of experience. So what do you mean by credit recovery? So with credit recovery, it's if a student took a class and they failed the class mm-hmm. and the school just could not provide an opportunity for that student to physically sit in a classroom and retake the class, they would take the class on their own. Okay. And then from there, it moved into, well, if students who have taken a class and have failed the class can use this online platform to get credit recovery, then why can't we do this for our advanced students? Mm. And so uh, school, uh, schools like uh, Florida Virtual began to explore how to educate students in with the use of the internet using these online learning systems and helping students who may not be able to go into a physical building um, due to whatever issue they may be having and just being able to provide a unique experience for them. Mm -hmm. The students that we serve, many of them are students who uh, may be training. So you you talked about some of the programs that we have at my school. They may be training as professional dancers or Mm -hmm. actors or um, we have students who are on Broadway oh, wow. um, for, for extended periods of time. And so they're balancing going to school and being on Broadway as well. I always wondered how they would do that. Yeah. Know? In my school, one of the things I, I'm a middle school principal and what is extremely important to me and has been important to me since I've been at my school was to provide an opportunity for our students to feel connected. 
Okay. And to really take what they would get in a brick and mortar and sort of transfer that into an online environment. So we have monthly assemblies. Oh, wow. And so we have guest speakers. And when we have students who are on Broadway, we have them come in and they're our guest speaker. <laughs> and so we've had students who were in the School of Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Broadway and also Matilda on Broadway. I was I was thinking about Matilda, like because <laughs> yeah. that's a show that is just all kids, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, just a full cat Broadway uh, cast of kids, and it's a great show. It yeah. toured a, yeah. a lot, so so we have kids who um, are on Broadway and they come in and they talk to other students, and it it is an encouragement for our students to hear from their peers to say, you know, I'm on Broadway. I do three shows a day, but I can still get my work done mm. because that's a big part. Like they, they cannot continue to be a part of the production if they're not doing their schoolwork, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they have to keep up on their schoolwork and they have to be able to balance this uh, real world work life that they have. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we serve those types of students, but then we also serve students who may have been bullied, mm-hmm. uh, those students who have social anxieties, and then those students who just do not thrive in a brick and mortar environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we accept those students and we try to provide an alternative option of education for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I when I was about 12 or 13 years old, sitting at home with my little personal computer that <laughs> the screen was green and, you know, and, yeah. and, and very basic. And I was learning DOS and, you know, I just never imagined that this tool could help me write a paper faster or, you yeah. know, make it look cleaner or whatever. But I never had an idea that you can do your whole curriculum online. Yeah. I think that this is a um, wonderful opportunity. And I, and I originally came to online education as a skeptic. Okay. So one of the things that I read about was that, you know, more and more students were coming to online education. And what I wanted to see was, I just wanted to see if this was real. Is this real education? And if it's not real, because I consider myself to be an advocate for children, if it's not real, I'm going to make it real. Right. <laughs> and make sure that no one is taking advantage of our of our children. Right, right. And so I went into this like, mm, I wonder, you know, just giving it a, like a squint in the side eye, just wondering if it was really real. And what I found was that the teachers who are teaching in this environment, they really have a heart for children mm-hmm. and they really have a heart for understanding how technology works in conjunction with um, teaching. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm, I'm really, really proud to be a part of this movement. I think I consider myself a pioneer yeah. in some ways. Um, so in 1997, some After of the- After year Shelby was born. Oh, nice. I feel really <laughs> aged at this point well, right now. I'm older than you, so- <laughs> But in 1997, I had worked a full year as a teacher. And then in 1997, my dad said that a friend of his was opening up a charter school in Philadelphia. And so he put me in contact with Dr. Martin Ryder and I was hired to teach science Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in his school. And so that was one of the very first charter schools in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, So I was just interested in this new system of educating children. And so for me, it was a natural progression that, okay, well, now I'm hearing more about these online, you know, schools, these cyber schools. I want to know what this is. 
So now let me see what this is about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question around, you mentioned charter. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, are virtual schools public or private or they're like charter? And maybe just so people understand, right. maybe you can share a little bit about what that charter school means. Because I, I know there's a lot of controversy around charter schools and yeah. You know, some people assume charter schools, all charter schools are good, which I know that's not the case, mm-hmm. or charter schools are bad. They take away from public schools. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to get your perspective and also definitions on this. So a charter school is a public school. It is publicly funded and it is designed to be a creative way of teaching children. It's mm-hmm. designed to allow people to try different models to teach. Mm-hmm. And so... You may have a Montessori charter school or you may have a, a charter school that has an Afrocentric foundation to it where they teach the curriculum from the African perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have charter schools that focus on the arts. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that you will have a system or a theme within your school that specifically speaks to or targets a certain population of students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what you're offering may be different from what the school district itself, the charter school lives in, offers. And so most of the time, when when you look at a charter school, the the charter school offers an option that does not necessarily exist Mm -hmm. in, in a school district. And school districts have to grant the charter of a charter school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a lot of times school districts will say, okay, well, do we really need this particular type of charter school? Is it important for us? And I think what some school districts have done because they know that maybe, you know, their performing arts program can only house a certain number of students. Okay, we will grant another performing arts charter school. But Mm -hmm. charter schools are publicly funded schools. Mm-hmm. Charter schools also have the ability to receive contributions from partners like the Broad Foundation or the Gates Foundation, where you have people who are really interested in education and the, the future of education. Right, right. And so they will donate money to these charter schools to make sure that they're able to actualize their vision and mm-hmm. mission of their schools. Mm-hmm. So with cyber charter schools, cyber charter schools are not in Pennsylvania, they're not approved by local school districts. They have to be approved by the state. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the state, they're the ones, they're the granting agency, if you will, for a cyber school. So the cyber schools that exist in Pennsylvania, they have been approved by the Department of Education in Pennsylvania. So that goes sort of back to my other question around like the percentage of these cyber schools or virtual schools. So each state, I would guess in the United States, probably has one or more virtual schools at this point. So most states in the country have some type of, well, right now, every state has some type of virtual experience for students, whether it be credit recovery or whether it be a full on school system for their students to participate in. Right now, schools are using online education to educate their children. Right, right. No matter where you are. So the numbers look a little bit differently now, but before the pandemic, I think there were about 40 states that have some form of cyber education option available. Some states have moved to students have to take at least one online course. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, before they graduate. Mm-hmm. But 
higher education has been using online education a lot longer than K through 12 right. um, school system. So it is a viable way to educate people. Mm-hmm. And it's not new. Cyber education is really the relative of distant learning and open learning. So distant learning really started with in, in the United States with the U.S. postal system. Okay. So, Char, you may remember this. When we were younger, mm. there used to be like this commercial that would come on for art school. Uh-huh. And you would have to like draw something. Right, right. They would send you a picture. You have to draw the picture and then mail it back in yeah. so they could see whether or not you were accepted to their program. Yeah, right. Well, that really came from the beginning of the postal system. And when we, we developed the postal system in the U.S., what happened was you had professors and people around the country who wanted to learn things like shorthand mm-hmm. or anything and everything that you can think of. But they did not necessarily have access to an institution that could teach those things. So you had professors who would add in a newspaper Mm -hmm. and then people would send in money to take the professor's course. And then the professor would send them the work. They would complete it and then mail it back to the professor. Okay. And then that's how they would learn with the um, invention of the Internet. We're still we're doing the exact same thing. Like teachers are posting work the students submit it and the, the teachers give them feedback and send it back to the students so it's the exact same process but we just now use technology to advance mm-hmm. you know what was being done uh, early in this country that's interesting you know i never put that connection together but that really makes sense and you mentioned something called open learning and it's interesting because shelby likes this family i forget what country they are in you know that family you showed me their youtube videos about And they do a more open learning style. They let their kids sort of, you know what family I'm talking about? It's a a different term than um, open schooling. It will come to me, but it's very, they're in Australia. Yeah. I'll say that first. Second, there's, that's a whole nother podcast episode to talk about children in, in YouTube videos and the rights of children in YouTube videos and stuff like that. Just putting that out there on the table. And third, it's homeschooling, but it's not homeschooling. Do you know what that term is? It's like that's why I thought Carla could help me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what that term is. But when I talk about open education, I'm talking about it's an actual system used in higher education oh. where people don't pay for courses. Okay, but and everything that is created, uh, the student work, the the teacher uh, work, everything that is created is open. You're able to use it. There is no copyright. You're able to take these courses. They exist. I believe they they exist primarily in, in England. Mm-hmm. And they may, Shelby, I don't know, they may even be in Australia. But I know at this point, um, anyone can take these courses. And there is not an official like fee to take the courses like there are here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this whole open form of education and, and free flow. The idea is that there's a free flow of thought, Okay, if you will. You don't you don't put a value, if you will, on on, on, learning. on learning. Yeah, it's called unschooling. That's unschooling. that's what what it okay. is, and it's very much like child directed. And yeah, this family like they they still had to you know like put together the bind again. They're in Australia, and I haven't watched their videos in a while, and so the rules for homeschooling are definitely probably different. But they still have to put together their binder and whatever, and send it off to. Mm-hmm whoever to like approve that they're like teaching their children. Right. But yeah, it's unschooling, which I know is kind of controversial or a hot topic. 
Yeah, we're going to actually have another podcast on homeschooling. So mm-hmm. that'll be, I know that's different in every state, requires different things, but this is, of course, Pennsylvania. But that unschooling I found interesting because you sort of have all these opportunities for mm-hmm. the children to learn at their own pace things like that. So it sounds like it's somewhere between a Montessori model and maybe Paulo Freire uh, had that that whole mindset, like you should be able to focus on whatever area you want to focus on in your education. Mm -hmm. And really that responsibility should lie with the actual student to determine which way they want to go. But Shar, you mentioned homeschooling and the connection between homeschooling and cyber education is really interesting because I know with my school, some of the first populations that really signed on to the idea of cyber education were pockets of students who were, you know, parents who were homeschooling their students. And so what they were finding is as their children were getting older. So for my school, the first families to come were families who were a part of homeschool little consortiums, if you will, mm-hmm. who found that as their child got older, that they needed maybe a science teacher to teach higher level sciences or a math teacher to teach higher level math. So our very first population were people who were a part of that community mm-hmm. um, because they saw value in it. Although online schools who are approved by the state, they still have to teach standards. Parents like that they are able to insert, like Shelby was saying, like a different perspective on education. And they're able to have more of a partnership with the school, if you will, Mm -hmm. with how and what their child is learning. Mm -hmm. And in real time, they're able to see, okay, well, this is where the teacher is going. I want to supplement that with whatever going to a a museum or going on a nature trail or, you know, we have this resource near us. I want to expose my child to this. So it creates a more rich experience for the students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was wondering, I mean, I guess since you are a cyber school, virtual school, has the pandemic impacted your school at all in normal operations? Or have you gotten more people to sign on to your school? Because that is the greatest impact right there. Um, (laughs) So I think because there is a great deal of uncertainty with parents, a lot of them are saying, if my child's school is going to go online, then I might as well go to a school that does this right. all the time. Yeah. Right? yeah. And they're not trying to figure out how to use certain programs and they're not trying to figure out how instructional strategies partner with the technology They know this and those are things that we won't have to deal with. Mm. And so they are looking to online schools to be able to provide some sense of stability, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, a lot of brick and mortar school districts have spent like the entire summer trying to learn how to teach online because it is different and it does require that we'll teachers spending a lot of time, brick and mortar teachers have been spending a lot of time over the summer investigating how to do this because mm-hmm. I think they're educators and, you know, no matter what is thrown at an educator, we will figure it out <laughs> and we will make this happen because they have the heart of, you know, their students, the, the really a heart for their students to, to give them their best. And I, I really applaud their efforts for trying to learn how to do this in such a short period of time. And what a lot of families are doing is they're looking at 
online education, cyber schools to really, I guess, just be that stability that they need right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so our enrollment has increased. Mm -hmm. When I left school in June, uh, we had about 800 students. And now this year, school starts next week for us. So we have about double that. Wow. That's like quite a, a increase in, in students. So right. do you have a limitation on the numbers or will you increase staff or how will you we, manage we, it? We do have a limitation on numbers and it is because we want to continue to provide the best product. Again, it cannot be about just accepting students and getting the funds that follow that particular student. It cannot be about that. It has to be about whether or not we have the capacity to be able to provide quality instruction for our students. Mm -hmm. So Shelby, talk about grading students' work. Mm -hmm. That is a real limitation if you increase class sizes to a point where teachers cannot read an essay or they cannot respond and give feedback the way that they need to because there are just too many students. Mm. And so one of the things I'm very proud of with my school is that we are working hard to make sure that teacher to student ratio remains in an area that is manageable for our staff where our, and, and also for our families, where they will still be able to get the attention that they need. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they'll still be able to to learn. Students will still be able to learn um, in a way that is really just the best experience for them. So do you offer, just thinking about the cyber learning, and like I said, I did see videos of dancers and things like that. How do you, do you teach that virtually or do you have students come into a certain place? So I have my goddaughter actually is, is going to school for her art educational degree so she can teach art. Like, do you do that virtually or... How do you handle those type of activities? In gym, what do you tell kids to walk around the block? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now, um, right now, of course, everyone is virtual. Right, so, right. You know, yes, we teach everything okay. online. <laughs> so, even those dance classes, they happen online. Okay. And um, it is no different than what you may see on YouTube or, mm -hmm. you know, TikTok or some of the other <laughs> outlets where you have a, a dance teacher who is teaching choreography and the students are doing that. What we do, and especially you asked about specifically about gym and people are like, nope, can't teach gym online. Well, that's not true. <laughs> um, our health and physical education teachers, they will demonstrate how to do certain exercises. The students will record. Our health and physical education teachers, they will demonstrate how to do a certain exercise or activity, and then the students will record, send that recording back to the teacher, and the teacher will assess them doing the exercise or whatever it is, and then they will give them feedback on it. So yes, it, it can be done. <laughs> In this time, it's important for educators to think outside of the box. Okay. It, it really is. And and. It works if you are an educator who is interested in continuing to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. It works. But you have to be able to, I always say like um, online education is like when I, when I get a teacher who has never taught in an online system, I always say, think about Sesame Street and think about Mr. Rogers, <laughs> right? Because Sesame Street was like very engaging and very like, they had songs and different yeah. activities and, you know, 
there's still a, and even in like the electric factory. Yeah. Um, not the new one, the old one. <laughs> I, can, I can still remember the the uh, I think it was a pinball machine or something, and you know it would it would count the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But it's engaging, and it kept you engaged uh, throughout. And so with Sesame Street, the model that they use, they start off with the concept, and that concept sort of goes throughout. Mm-hmm. the episode and then at the very end of the episode they say today's number was well, you know today's idea was what do you buy number or whatever so there is that that introduction there is the instruction and then there is the the conclusion if you will mm-hmm. so I always direct new teachers to that and then also Mr. Rogers because although I never met Mr. Rogers I felt like he knew me right and I felt like there yeah. was a connection yeah. Like Mr. Rogers is actually talking to me, even though we were between the team, you know, I was on the other side of the team right. recorded program. I just felt like there was a connection and he had such a calming way of, you know, moving through the content of his programs. And so really online education has to be that for teachers. They have to be engaging, but they still have to find that balance to, to let students know I am here for you. And although you and I may not talk often, like we have that connection. And, and as I'm teaching, I want you to get that connection. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that is that is a very, very difficult thing to do. But I find that people who are most successful in this area of education have that down. They have that Sesame Street slash Mr. Rogers <laughs> thing happening where, where they're able to provide content, but they're also able to, to bring a personal touch or flair Mm-hmm. to their classrooms. And I know you mentioned um, you have school assemblies because the other thing mm-hmm. that you would, I feel you might miss in a cyber or virtual school experience is that school spirit. Right. What connects you together as a school? I mean, right. I guess you can't have, you know, you don't have the sports teams per se. Right. Um, so how do you capture that in, in this, this cyber or virtual school environment? So one of the, the major things that I've wanted to do with my middle school was provide them with any opportunity that I could to develop leadership skills and interpersonal skills. So in order to do that, they have to be able to interact with one another. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to talk to one another. And so we developed a student government to help them learn leadership skills. We created a culinary club. So a student said, I like to cook. I want to be a chef when I get older. What can I do right now? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know what? We're going to create a club just for you. And so other kids who were interested in, in, in learning how to cook, we created a cooking club. So in essence, my teachers, they do like a cooking show. <laughs> the kids do the, the same recipe at home and they, they share their recipes with the, the rest of the students in mm-hmm. that group. We have a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Google Docs is a wonderful thing and, yeah. and kids can get right in there and they can edit together and then they send that document out to the rest of the student body and then they feature or they ask for entries from the student body. Mm-hmm. So the students will send in artwork. They'll send in uh, anything, you mm-hmm. know, like poems. They do movie reviews. They try different recipes. So they, they send those things in. And I think with having the opportunity to engage with one another, it creates a sense of community mm-hmm. and a sense of belonging. So I said my school had 800 students. You know, you can get lost in that. Even yeah. if you were in a traditional brick and mortar. Right. You can get lost in 800 students. 
But what works is having that small group of students mm-hmm. that you are connected with. One of the things that I think it is important for me as an online administrator is that I am aware of how to teach and how to engage students in this environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I came from a traditional brick and mortar experience. And so I went into online education, not having taught an online class. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I make sure I do every year is I teach peer mediation. Mm-hmm. And so I have a peer mediation protocol that we use. We teach the students how to use it. And I, I do that through a learning management system. And I also do it uh, through uh, virtual like video conferencing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important for me because I get the, the kids get to connect to their principal. Right. And then I get to connect to them, too. And I think that that's important. And then, you know, in this in this whole cyber school experience, students are always super excited to meet me. Uh-huh. They're super excited to meet their teachers. And I tell them all the time, like, I am real. I am a real person. I'm <laughs> not a robot. robot. <laughs> answering you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Ms. Johnson, you actually answered me. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. It is me. <laughs> right, right. So, so I, think, I think that's important. You know, people are relational. Yeah. And so you, no matter what environment we're in, we're still going to need to be able to connect with one another. And I think it's really, really important for middle school students to learn how to connect with others because they're trying to figure out so many things like who they're going to be mm-hmm. when they get older. And if you don't provide those things for them, they miss out on their opportunity to learn those skills, how to walk into a room and talk to people that you may not know or how to lead a group or how to be a part of a group. They, they lose those opportunities. So mm-hmm. anytime kids are in this online learning experience, they should also have those outside activities that they can tap into to learn those skills. I think it just takes like readjusting your your thinking sometimes because Mm -hmm. at least for me, like some of these things like, yeah, I had the same questions, but it's very easy for me to like understand it. And maybe it's an age thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of I'm in that weird gray zone where like I didn't grow up with like as much technology as like kids have now. Mm -hmm. But when I was in middle school, there were things like AOL Messenger Mm -hmm. and like, Mm -hmm. which is no more. I still use AOL. Yeah, but there was a a messenger. (laughs) There was a messenger and like chat boards and like those Mm -hmm. like early like 2000s, you know, things you gravitated towards and even more so now, like there's discords and reddits and, you know, you create, you find these and make these pockets anyway online. So if we're doing it anyway, then there's no reason why you can't do that from a uh, school mindset. Yeah, I was, and I started to think a lot of different things as Carly, you were talking about, you know, even working in, um, for an international company, Mm -hmm. these skills that your students are learning, they're going to need as they work for companies where, you know, I have to talk to people in the UK. I'm not flying to the UK all the time. We have to use a lot of virtual tools to get business done. So I can see that as being a plus with this type of education. And also I thought of the opportunity to connect with students who, you know, I'm from Philly, but you're from Reading. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope that it's an opportunity to build relationships with people who may not be the same background as you in a sense. And maybe open up dialogue for learning about people who are different than you. 
And it may not just be, be because maybe they're a different color. They could just live in the country and you live in the city. And there's different preconceived notions you have about people who live here or there. And that can also bring people in the state together. Because I think Pennsylvania is a very diverse state. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's, a, it's a giant state. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I, yeah. We could get to Vermont. When Shelby went to school in Vermont before I could get to the end of Pennsylvania. Right. You right. know, it's like very... It's it's interesting that you would bring up um, multiculturalism and just finding the differences in other people. A part of our mission statement, um, and I have to go back because about five years ago, I had to take a course. All principals in the state of Pennsylvania have to take uh, like a continuing education course for mm-hmm. their certification. So about five years ago, I had to take a continuing education course. And one of the things that they required us to do in that course was to look at our vision and mission statements uh, for our schools. And as I began to unpack the mission of our school, the mission of our school specifically talks about having our students graduate with a multicultural perspective Mm. so that they're able to go out into the world and become leaders. And so most leaders have an understanding of the people who they are trying to lead. And when you talk about having a global leader, that means that you have to understand the nuances of different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so I began to think about, well, where in my curriculum am I preparing the students to actualize the mission and vision of our school? (laughs) And one of the things that I realized is that I have to begin to do this work with the staff first. Right. And really talk about who is in your course. Who are the students who you are interacting with? So all of our conversation cannot be about just the students who live in Pittsburgh or just the students who live in Westchester Mm -hmm. or just the students who live in Philadelphia. I mean, we have a patchwork of children who are part of our school. So Mm -hmm. in the Western part of the state, hunting season may be important to them. Right. We have to acknowledge that and we have to say, okay, well, how's hunting season going? (laughs) You know, that that may be something that is important to a student. And, you know, parents and students, they they find pride in that uh, going hunting the, the very first day of hunting season and they go out as a family and this is what they do. Children who live in Philadelphia may not understand hunting season, Mm -hmm. but they understand citywide festivals or, you know, going to the different museums and, you know, things like that. So their experiences are different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so my teachers had to understand that the students that we teach are not, it's not a monolith. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It it is, they they are different. They come with different experiences. And so we started doing that work five years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, when we started doing the work with anything, any new um, experience, you know, there there can be that reservation, like, why are we doing this? Like, we just want to teach. But it's like, if you don't know who you're teaching and what their interests are and what their experiences are, I don't care how well you teach, if you can't make that connection with them, there are going to be some things that they miss yeah. because they're not going to be able to connect because you're missing them. You right, know, like right. You're trying to see everybody through the same lens and you really can't. And so that that's the work that we've been doing. We, we started five years ago with it. And so this past year with political unrest, with protests happening, with some of our students living in areas where there were riots, I thought it was important for us to have a real space 
for students to come mm. and just to talk about what was going on. Um, I have a, a group of students who live there. They're actually triplets and they live in an area that had been looted. Mm. And so, you know, in their sixth grade minds, they were like, you know, Ms. Johnson, I just hope all my favorite cookies are, you know, I can get my favorite cookies that <laughs> were at this their favorite store. And so it made me understand that I had to create a space for them to come and talk. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, I opened up a virtual room and I had all the teachers come from the middle school. So we were there as a united front. And I said to the, you know, the students, like, we will talk about this issue and we will work through this issue and, and, and we will give you those skills to be able to have these difficult conversations. And so the things that we use were really uh, goes back to the peer mediation mm-hmm. things that we were doing. And so my peer mediators were there and they were able to really, you know, talk to the students about how they use those skills to, to navigate what is happening right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it, it, it all connects. It really does. And I think, um, I think the teachers did an awesome job with providing that safe space for students. And they, even in, in an online environment, they still were able to come and speak and, and just say how they were feeling and what was on their heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think all, you know, we all need that. We, you know, yeah, we yeah. Results. I mean, yeah, you say even, and as you were speaking about this, and I would love to say that the school that I went to, which is a very good school, mm-hmm. and I, I speak with my, my friend Amber, who I've mentioned before on the podcast about this often, we will never take for granted our education because mm-hmm. we were so well prepared for college. It was mm-hmm. a fabulous education. However, it was on the main line mm-hmm. of PA. It was very homogenous. Like everything had to be a certain way. And actually this year, Instagram account called Black Mainline Speaks started up and it was for like students from all of the different like cousin schools on the main line, Mm -hmm. POC students to come and like tell about their experiences anonymously about all of these things that have been happening. So yeah, this Instagram account came up as a kind of a forum and I mean, social media has been, it's so wonderful for so many different reasons. And, you know, it has its, its negatives, but we've seen throughout this year how social media has can, can really make an impact mm-hmm. on a lot of different, you know, fronts. And it was a way to like say, hey, I went to these schools. Hey, Agnes Irwin. Hey, Haverford. Hey, hey, um, Episcopal Academy. Like these are issues you need to listen to us. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was like in high school and doing like all of these leadership positions, it was really important to me that I could somehow make a space or make it so that the like middle schoolers coming after me didn't have to go through the same things that I did. Nice. And one of the things that I would tell some of the the girls in the grade below me was like, listen, like we're not going to be able to like push through the door maybe, but maybe we can crack it open. So you guys really have to like continue that work because it really was student run, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I remember my administration, it really didn't like my grade very much because we were very, we were the largest in my school's history and we were very loud and we were very like, this is, this is unacceptable. And again, that was student led and how amazing would it have been to have had teachers and educators in the administration, especially like doing that work and standing behind you, because we definitely did not feel, you know, as students of color and even students who like maybe come from single parent households or have different family dynamics that we had a space or that we were supported by our school. Right. 
Yeah. So I think that was really, um, so that kind of space that you, you did with, at your school, Carla, was really powerful. And I give you a lot of credit because it is middle school. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as, as Shelby said, she does credit having a really good education. And some of the things that I think the school did do were helpful for parents. And one of the things they talked about in middle school, and I give you a, even more credit being the middle school principal because middle school, I think a lot of people forget about middle school, mm-hmm. but, Everything's changing in kids as middle schools. Hormones are all over the place. They're like really trying to grow up, but they're still really kids. And one of the things that one of the speakers talked about, it was like in middle school, you as a parent, and I would hope the administrators too, want to be that straight line mm-hmm. because the kids are all over the place like a wave. Right. <laughs> So you providing that space and not just you, but other teachers and the peer advocates having that space, I'm sure was very important for for those middle school students. It is. And it it was important for me to help the teachers understand that culture transcends race or includes more than just race. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we get stuck right there. It's just like, you know, what 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 race are you? Mm-hmm. But the culture of Philadelphia is different than the culture of the main line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There there are things that are different that our students in the western part of the state experience that are different than um, other parts of the state. Yeah, because I went to school in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is much different than Philadelphia. (laughs) And I mean, even even within, you know, like Philadelphia, like, for example, in my class, you know, there was only a a handful of of black kids. But my friend Amber, she's native and Jamaican. Mm -hmm. uh, We had a friend, Chica, who was African. Like there, And while we lived in the Philadelphia area, we still had cultural differences at home that were that are important. I remember Halloween was one thing where there was a lot some some girls who did the whole like dress up like, you mm-hmm. know, quote unquote Indian thing. And Amber, you know, was really affected by that as she sh- she should be because that's her culture that was kind of, you know, and again, it t- it took students to kind of say this is not this is not cool, which is a shame, but yeah, and and also educators cannot be afraid to have difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do this work with my online educators because it is very, very easy to get caught in the grading, the submitting, the grading, Mm -hmm. the submitting. I send you an email, you send me an email. Like It's very easy to get caught in that mindset or that wheel. But I needed my administrator, my, my teachers to understand that behind Every grade, every assignment that is submitted, there is a student who may be going through something. Mm -hmm. So when you have a student who is listed in our system as Anna, but wants to be referred to as Alex, you know, and, and identifies as male, you cannot you know, just ignored like what the student is saying. You have to, you have to tap into who that student is and their perspective and what is going on in their world so that you can better, once you understand, you can better educate. Right. And so, you know, again, just providing the teachers with a skill set to have difficult conversations with their students 
and open conversations with their students was extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recall history teacher who was new to online education. And one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to, in his discussion and, and instruction on uh, slavery, talk about how some people who were not Black participated in helping this the, the free, the um, allowing the state slaves to become free and what their part in the Underground Railroad was and how it was a partnership between different cultures and communities that came together to, to push this political agenda that, you know, African-Americans would be free. And so um, what he did was he opened up a forum for students to talk mm-hmm. and to to have these open discussions. And I think it's powerful because in, in two ways, one, you allow students to say where they are right. and, and you're, allow, you're allowing students to understand um, the perspectives of, of their classmates, but then you're also allowing the opportunity to reshape and to teach where you know there there may be fallacies and, and thinking or you know mm-hmm. uh, things may not may not be aligned to to what really happened. Mm-hmm. And so we had this whole dialogue. He said, you know, um, some of his African American students were offended by some of the comments. And I said, well, a couple of things. One, we need to always provide ground rules, you know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're, <laughs> you're having these open discussions because, you know, kids they, they tend to think that, you know, this is like a Facebook or Twitter or whatever. You just say, say your truth, say your thought, and not really take into account sometimes mm-hmm. what other people think. I said, but two, you also have to understand that, you know, for me. As an African-American woman, I can go back, I think it's four grandmothers and touch slavery, mm-hmm. right? So I have that experience, mm-hmm. right? And so when you open up dialogue about this topic, it is very real. It is very raw for some people because I knew my great-grandmother, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I know about her mother and her grandmother, Mm-hmm. And so I, I I I have a very deep connection to the history mm-hmm. of my family. And so when we have these conversations, I'm not talking about something that's in theory. Right. These these are these are people and things that I know. And so just to be able to have that conversation and have a forum where kids are able to just talk about, you know, their perspective and how they're feeling, I think is is always very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My questions was about the challenges and benefits of virtual learning. And I think we sort of touched on that just Mm -hmm. via the the conversation, because I certainly learned a lot about the benefits of it. And also that challenge with the teachers, because you really have to be amenable to this type of learning. I don't know that every teacher can be a cyber school teacher. So it's one of those things. And I do need to say that before the pandemic, there's a very strong and and even still, there's a very strong attack on cyber charter schools Mm. and to not have them because there is this thought that, you know, and the thought existed when charter schools came about. So this, this, this debate is nothing new and nothing that I haven't heard in my 20 plus years of education. When charter schools first came out, it was, oh, they're going to take our 
top students. They're going to impact our funding. Mm-hmm. And that these were the um, the school districts. And now they have them. And now the next wave of the fight, if you will, is an attack on cyber schools, cyber mm-hmm. charter schools in the state of Pennsylvania. And so before the pandemic, there was a very strong push to get rid of them. Mm. And so what you had was school districts signing into their resolutions. They were signing resolutions saying, you know, we, we want to change Mm-hmm. what this relationship looks like and change what you know we're able to do we want to have our own cyber school mm-hmm. as a part of our school district instead of having these cyber charter schools mm-hmm. and so th- there was a very real attack on cyber schools but one of the things that became evident when the pandemic hit online schools were able to continue yeah i know you operate. didn't have a break did you <laughs> we were able to continue to operate And the only things that we really had to take into account, the major thing was that our teachers were at home with their children now teaching, Mm -hmm. right? And our students were at home with their parents. Yeah. And then the the emotional experience of losing people and having to be, Mm -hmm. you know, we were able to focus on not the technology and not the education, but more of the emotional component of what was happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were able to continue. Right. Right. And so what, because really a lot of people say, you know, cyber education is not real. There's no way that you can do this online. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids need to be in a classroom. Kids need to be um, interacting with the teacher face to face. They need to be able to, you know, get up and do in a brick and mortar um, school can be transitioned to an online Mm -hmm. experience for students. You get, you know, and everybody. So we were using Zoom five years ago. Oh, right. And I wish I wish I was stopped. And now that's what everybody keeps saying. <laughs> because we were using it. We were, actually, my first year was six years ago. My first year in my school, we moved to two platforms, Zoom and we moved to Canvas. Uh-huh. So oh, we, I know Canvas. And so we were like using this in Canvas. When we started using Canvas, there were not many. I think we may have been like their first K to 12 school that actually used Canvas or one of the first to use it. And so these are things that just were normal to us. We were just following what yeah. we normally do. But people are understanding now there is a way to do this. You can do this online. And right. I think that it will change the course of education because now, guess what? There are no snow days. Right, right? that's right. So even, even Man, when, no snow days. Even, even when kids have to go back into brick and mortar schools, there's no need for you to have a snow day. You just get on to your learning management system and you just do this. Right, right. We continue on. And so, you know, the building is closed for a day, fine. And I also think that a lot of school districts may opt to go into these hybrid models to save money mm-hmm. because, you know, that, that is one of the struggles of a brick and mortar school is that you, you have to keep it running. Right. <laughs> and in Philadelphia, you know, you hear uh, uh, the conversation about the state of the buildings. Yes. Yeah. And, that's a concern. And Dr. Height has done a lot to be able to address those areas. But the reality is it's an old city, right? Yeah. 
the buildings are old and that, that's a part of the beauty of the city right on one hand but on the other hand when you're talking about the schools and everything we don't like asbestos right right, right, right. <laughs> we, don't. we don't like asbestos we gotta get rid of that but you know like and, and i and I, I really do believe that they are working to do that but there are financial limitations and i think for some students it's a better opportunity to be in a cyber situation, in a cyber environment, until those things are handled. My biggest concern, my school provides technology, computers for mm. our students. And actually, we are a two-to-one school, which means that we provide two devices for our students. So okay. we, a lot of our students have a laptop and they also have an iPad. And so we provide those resources for our students and then we also provide internet reimbursement. Okay, I was wondering cuz let's say you can't get the hardware but right. if you don't have internet. Internet, right? So we do provide internet reimbursement and it is a part of what we do. My concern is for school districts who did not have the technology to give to their students before the pandemic and they don't have the technology now to mm. give to their students while we're moving into this new normal, if you will, with online learning for all students. And I think what will become more noticeable is the disparity between students who have the ability to access technology and those yeah. who don't. I struggle with believing that our students who are in a, living in a low-income situation will have the same opportunities of those who are not in a low-income situation. And I really am concerned about what our school districts are going to be able to provide for mm -hmm. those students. Um, and I think it's a real conversation that we all need to be having. And I think it's important to think about and not lose sight that there, although, you know, school districts are saying we're going to move to an online learning platform when school starts, there is going to be a population of, of children, unfortunately, who will not have access and I just, I, I would just encourage school districts to really figure out what to do with that population of students. That kind of ties into like, you know, knowing your students. When I was an undergrad, I, I kind of dabbled in education. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, the books that I read during that time was called Teaching with Poverty in Mind. Uh, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. I'll put it in the description or wherever. But it really like spoke about like how if your student is sleeping in their car, that's going to affect how they're the, yes. how they're learning. And you have to think about those things. And because we, we I don't think we do that enough. So our children suffer because of that. And it's, it's important as teachers and as administrators that we shouldn't let our biases creep into how we are communicating with our families. So mm -hmm. to tell families, yes, there is a laptop shortage. And in the meantime, what we're waiting to get these laptops, we want you to use your device that you have at home. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't have a device, right? Mm. what do you do? And so, you know, we really need to think about how to service that population, how to give that population what they need. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's always been a concern that, you know, inner city schools have not had the same, even in Pennsylvania, the funding formula is different right. for every school district. And so you have some school districts who get a larger portion than, than others. And so does that look like um, mm -hmm. for our low-income students? Yeah, that was definitely on, and you touched on that before I even posed the question of mm -hmm. how do 
the accessibility of the technology. Because I know I remember reading, like, even when you think about kids being out of school and maybe, you know, that's where they get their breakfast and lunch, you know, and I know Philadelphia was having programs where they would hand out those things during this situation. So even those base things that students need and going into a brick and mortar school Mm -hmm. afford certain things as well. Mm -hmm. I think think the Affordable Cares Act has done um, a good job at trying to to sort of um, bridge that gap. And I know um, some some states have released like a, a a food assistance card for families mm-hmm. um, to, to offset what students would normally get at school. Mm-hmm. I think those types of programs are beneficial for those people who are in need. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just watching uh, the news the other day where, you know, even local people are going, turning to their pantries, their personal pantries and saying, you know what, I'm going to have, you know, an opportunity for people to come and get food. Yeah. But I just think, I think we have to continue to have that type of spirit yeah. throughout this process where it's not just about me, but everybody needs to think about how they can use their gifts and how they can use their time and talent and treasure to be able to help other people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we cannot get through this alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if that's an education or that's in anything, like it's just not going to happen with you know, leaving a group or demographic to the to the side. Yeah, it's really a good theme. And, and it's funny, I don't know, Shelby, if you've noticed, like all the talks we've been having sort of go back to that theme of like ultimately... Be nice to each other. Think right. about it. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's something to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think you've really informed me a lot about cyber schooling, virtual schooling. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I do have, though, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit, I can definitely see it for middle schoolers, high schoolers. I'm still struggling a bit for, you're talking about kindergarten, mm-hmm. where, you know, kindergarten, first and second grade, that's the foundation for everything else. And also, I was wondering if you have special needs students, how do you manage those groups, elementary and special needs in this space? Right. So with our younger students, we are a K-12 school. So we, we do K through 12 schools. So we do have students in the elementary uh, range. And so with, with that population, parents, before they sign their child up for online education, you need to understand that it is going to be a requirement or a responsibility of the parent to help facilitate mm-hmm. some of the learning, some of the instruction. You, you will not be able to sit your child in front of a computer and just <laughs> say, you know, here's your teacher, go for it, you know. But with that being said, we still have virtual lessons, if you will, for students who are that age. They do meet with their teacher. It may not be for 45 minutes or an hour like older students meet with their teachers, but they still have that time. We talked earlier about how we were in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and we watched Sesame Street. Mm -hmm, So we know that children can learn in that environment. But again, it has to be engaging and it cannot be a lecture. Mm -hmm. It cannot cannot be that, but it has to be engaging. And so um, we have some very creative Mm -hmm. educators who are in our elementary school who really um, understand that and they understand how to keep their students engaged Mm -hmm. on their level, but also they understand that it is a partnership between the teacher and the parent Mm -hmm. to make sure 
that the student is learning. Mm -hmm. And when, when the parents see that something is missing or the student is not learning the way that they need to, then we provide those specific services. So you asked about special needs. Yes. So we do have students who have um, an IEP. And so with our special education population, we do provide resource teacher for those students to be able to address the needs that they have. And when the resource teacher is just not enough, we do have, we partner with agencies that will go into the home and provide speech therapy or um, physical therapy or other types of um, supports that a student may need. That's how we help those students. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes a student may need a tutor. Mm-hmm. And so we, we will partner with an organization and they will send a tutor in and the tutor will work individually with the student um, along with the resource teacher. So you have the resource teacher working with the student. And then when the resource teacher um, is not available or not there, then you have the tutor who will come in. Mm-hmm. We have some some students who have behavioral issues. And so we have behavioral support that will go into the home and help with those students. And so we find that we are able to help all of our students. Good. We have students who are gifted, who are in the fourth grade, but they need to be taking algebra courses. We're able to do that Mm -hmm. because they are not bound by, we don't have an algebra teacher in this building to be able to help you. And in order for you to be able to do that, you would have to go to the middle school or the high school to take that course. Like we're not bound by those limitations. Mm -hmm. And so... We're able to help our students who are advanced as well. So wherever a student is, we're able to meet them and deliver instruction for them based on what their needs are. Yeah. So I think that's important. And that's the beauty of online education to me. That no matter where a student is, where their learning gaps are, we're able to find those things, target those things, and address them. Mm-hmm. Um, it can happen in a brick-and-mortar school, but it can also happen in an online school as well. That's great to hear because I should have not failed to ask you about, you know, if you have those academic children who need more, too. Because I remember going to take out to go to something called Academic Plus, where mm-hmm. you went out of your class and you did puzzles or whatever, fun things, extra things, or dealing with Shelby with some special needs she had, which were more about... You know, she just, she needed to do more things on the computer. Like cyber school probably would have been great for Shelby. Oh yeah. And like, (laughs) you know, and I guess, I mean, in like undergrad and college, this is not as big of a bait. It happens all the time. Like people take online courses all the time. And I know some people grumble about it and the professors don't know how to use it. And it's like a, it's a thing. But I really enjoyed online online learning. Maybe that is because I, you know, I just, you know, I, I do much better like typing something. I think I think we're moving into a period where our children are a lot are more well versed with technology than their parents are, mm-hmm. and sometimes than the teachers are. So, for example, my son Josh, he says, "Well, mom, I have." two uh, accounts and I want to put V-Bucks from one account to another. How do I do that? I don't know. <laughs> so what does he do? He gets on YouTube. There's and YouTube, that's YouTube they, comes up right. every every uh, podcast as well. Yeah, every episode. It's like, okay, well, if you want to learn more about this, you, you can look something up on YouTube. Yeah. It, it really is a great resource. And that's like, again, one of the benefits of the internet. Yeah. And so, and if you really think about it, it really puts the pressure on teachers to say, okay, 
what can I provide that's outside of YouTube? What experience, yeah. what information can I provide? Because kids can't go there. Mm. They can fact check you. I've had <laughs> students fact check teachers through, you know, and so you have to say, okay, well, that is a source. Now let's look at a couple of sources yeah. and let's see if your sources are all saying the same thing. Right. But primarily, if a student does not know how to do something, the first place they're going to go is probably YouTube. They learn how to do makeup on YouTube. They learn <laughs> how to play video games on YouTube. They, you know, like all of these different things. And I think we just have to understand that that's how our kids are learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're learning a lot. That's how they're learning. Yeah. And I definitely don't want to let you go before this question, because I know many parents are being thrust into this virtual school environment. They didn't like sign up for this, but Mm -hmm. this is what they have to be. And they still need to manage working. I have a friend at work and both his children are like in elementary school. His wife works. He works. He comes into office some days and his wife She's turned to like sort of working at night. So as soon as he comes in, he has to take over. So do you have any advice on for parents who are like, you know, have to manage this now? This is their quote unquote new normal. It comes down to creating a schedule. Mm -hmm. And when you are trying to work from home and you have children who are trying to do online education, one of the things I think a few years ago, I asked parents who were in our school, what are the top? five things that you think that you need to do as a parent who has an online learner. And the thing that resonated with my parents is that I kept hearing over and over again is that you have to have a schedule. So you cannot do this work without having a schedule Mm -hmm. and also understanding that online learning does not have to take place between eight and four. Right. And that's the beauty of it. Many teachers are able to, and and, and I I do want to caution educators who are not online educators um, or who haven't had this experience. You cannot require kids to sit in front of a computer eight to nine. You're going to be in front of the computer nine to 10. You're going to go to another teacher at 10 to 11. You're going to go, you know, get a lunch break and then you come back. You cannot create that type of schedule for kids because they're not going to be engaged. They're going to, you know, you see all of the memes or the kids fall asleep. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you have to do small sections or small bits of um, activities for students to continue to stay engaged. And so I, I just think that part is important and it cannot get lost. For parents, have a schedule. Make sure that you know that it doesn't have to happen from eight to four. Some days your child will not want to do it and that's okay (laughs) because they can work during another time. Some days they will want to knock out everything. You have to be flexible. Mm -hmm. So a schedule, but yet also at the same time be flexible. Right. Just in case your schedule doesn't work out, it's okay to just say, you know what? This is not working. Let me try something else or let the student have a break, but then get back to it. Mm -hmm. And then also to just to stay in communication with your child's teacher and the school, mm-hmm. um, because it's important for them to know where your child is and what the limitations of your child is. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing, you know, they, they created a schedule that is, you know, very much like a traditional brick and mortar schedule where your child is really sitting in one place for hours on end. You wouldn't want that for your child if they were in a brick and mortar school. You would want them to be able to get up and move around. Yeah. Everybody needs that time. And especially elementary and middle school students, they need to be able to get up. They need to be able to walk around. You have to be able to stretch. 
And so when you are talking about your schedule, you have to keep those things in mind. You have to have a brain break. You have to have a snack time. Those are things that you have to do. And for parents with teenagers, you know, the research shows that teens really don't start functioning until later in the day. (laughs) Yeah. So because they don't function until later in the day, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Let them function when they function. And for them, it might be I start my work at 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they don't have a standard schedule where they have to like be in virtual lessons, it's okay. You know, let them work at their own pace because, you know, through the fighting, <laughs> trying to make them do something that they're not going to do, it just becomes a more stressful situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would also say to parents to check the communication that is coming from your school daily mm-hmm. um, because it can it can become overwhelming if you're not making sure that your student is doing the work. Um, what you will see is things begin to pile up. Mm. And no one wants to see a to-do list that continues to expand. Yeah. What we like to see is things that are checked off. Right, know? right, right, right. And so we, we, we want to do that. We want to create that to-do list and things are being checked off. And if your list is going the opposite way, you know, you got to stop and you have to reconsider what's happening. But I think I think those are the things that parents can do to sort of make this whole process easier. Mm-hmm. And then also have empathy for your child's teacher mm. because they are dealing with the exact same thing that you are dealing with. <laughs> Many of them have their own children, their own families, their own lives that they are trying to keep together while they are actually teaching kids. And so I've had meetings where my son just like, Walks behind me. <laughs> like, what is happening? You know, yeah. goes down somewhere, but but those things happen. And so, where a teacher may have been responsive very quickly to mm. you in the past, be mindful that you know now not only are they teaching, but they may have a child that they have to help as well get online and, and do the things that they need to do. So, I think just giving everybody that 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 space and empathy will help a lot. Yeah, that's great. And I guess just to wrap it up, do you have any suggestions for resources? I know we talked about YouTube, but do you have any suggestions for resources for parents and children who are learning virtually now or cyber school? I would say there are a ton of resources out there for Mm -hmm. whatever you want. So if you want your child to learn a foreign language, there are resources out there. If you know that your child is struggling in math, their resources. I would say to parents, seek the resources that are free first, (laughs) (laughs) because there are a lot of people who are attempting to capitalize on the fact that students are at home Mm -hmm. and parents are looking for a resource for their students. But I tell you, there's nothing like a good old set of flashcards to work through multiplication or to play a board game. So we play Uno in my house, but we don't just play Uno. We play addition, subtraction, multiplication, Mm. and division. Uh So having having those types of experiences, I think, are rich. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes back to, Shelby, what you were talking about earlier with that unschooling you don't necessarily have to have something that is online to provide that enrichment for your child get a book read the book with your child Mm -hmm. allow your child to explore if they're they're not a big reader a graphic novel or Mm -hmm. uh cart uh the the cartoons the um comic books allow them to explore in a way that they're interested in because it will help them in the long run and it will help the parent not be so stressed out so you know, just allow them to do things, even 
go for a walk mm-hmm. or, you know, let's walk today. Let's get the Fitbit out. Let's, let's see how many miles we're walking. Talk about different birds as you're walking. Talk about different plants mm-hmm. as you're walking. Um, those are those are all the things that I do with my kids now because I don't want them to always be online. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to always have to feel like in order to learn, this is this is where I have to learn. We paint. I, <laughs> we do all kinds of stuff. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. But and even in painting, we can talk about symmetry and you know mm-hmm. Shelby all all those different things. But I think we have to understand that this is a different time, but we also have to understand that you have to speak to the whole child Mm -hmm. and anything that they're interested in, allow them to explore it, allow them to go for it. I think screen time is out the window right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too, when you say different things, because my great nephew, he's been exploring Shelby's DVD Mm -hmm. and he, he, he loves music too. So he Mm -hmm. picked up schoolhouse rock and you know, we grew up with that. You learn a lot via those little songs about when you talk about engagement like you mentioned Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers there's other than Christian who I think is just weird because he didn't watch Mr. Rogers who hasn't watched Mr. Rogers like you remember <laughs> like as an adult you remember these things these are things that stay with you mm-hmm. more than like some other things that I actually experienced in school mm-hmm. like sitting in a classroom so I think like Schoolhouse Rock and those like things are just are such great learning, like learning tools that are very engaging. Yeah. So I think that you certainly have enlightened me about the cyber schooling, virtual schooling, and uh, definitely can see the be- benefits. And I hope that this will help some parents who are out there who are new to this. Mm-hmm. And also, I hope it opens up their mind, too, because you, you opened up my mind a lot about, you know, charter schools and, mm-hmm. and versus public schools. I feel like I think they can all work together, even private schools. It's all about the children and making sure that child gets the education that they need. They have to. You have to be able to create these different models of education. What keeps us in a box is that sometimes we are unwilling to say, let's try something new. Mm -hmm. Let's try something different. And, you know, you just think of making uh, spaghetti sauce, you know, Mm -hmm. so many different ways to do it. right? (laughs) Right. And you don't have to do it one way. Any, any cooking, any recipe, there's so many different ways to do it. And, and being able to do it in different ways provides different experiences for people. So mm-hmm. you have to be able to have those choices. And mm-hmm. so I think the same thing should exist in education. It's it's about choice and, and which way you want to go for and what works best for your child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. Any other questions, Shelby? I know. This was like a cool conversation. Like I said, I kind of considered education a little bit <laughs> when I was in <laughs> undergrad. And mm-hmm. I was like... Uh, I don't know about that. And now I'm going back to like thinking about grad school and mm-hmm. when you get a graduate degree, you can then teach at the, you know, undergraduate level and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more my age range. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. And it's good that you know what works best for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody can work with middle schoolers. Like I said, I give you big credit for the middle schoolers. Yeah. I like little kids or older kids. That middle school thing it's, is... It's, <laughs> middle school is rough. It's just in general. <laughs> it's rough time. Yeah. 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 Everything's changing. Thank you for listening to Garage Conversation with Shar. If you have found it enjoyable, spread the word. 
To learn more about me and Shelby or this and future podcasts, do visit garageconversationwithshar.com. That is conversation without the S. Until next time, stay safe, well, and be blessed. Bye.